All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. That's The Underscore Misfit Nation. So you'll stay up to date on all our episodes as they release while also getting to hear the stories of our amazing guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is an author, speaker, and certified grief and life coach in the Pacific Northwest. She's the founder of the Restorative Grief Project an online community of grievers and grief supporters looking for movement while they heal. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Mandy Capehart. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, Rich. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm super excited to be here and talk to your people. Awesome. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself from as far back as you want to go to what got you to what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a great question because starting in the grief world was never something I thought I would do. But uh, in 2016, my mom died and I've been a part of the faith community uh, since I basically was 18 years old. And I realized they had no idea what to do with me after the perfunctory two weeks of lost support. So I started trying to figure it out on my own and I'm very strong-willed and realized there's nothing here. Someone has to do something about this. So after a long fight with myself about what that would look like, we started ourselves on a pandemic and I realized I, I, this is okay. We're about to enter into global unacknowledged grief for the next couple of generations. And I, I don't want to live in that world. So I decided to write my book. I decided to switch careers, uh, and became certified as a coach working with grievers. I've been speaking about grief for some time now, but this became a passion when I recognized the impact it was having on others, finding language and learning how to talk about their losses in a way that had never occurred to them before. So people were actually, even just through hearing my story or my perspective or what I'd been learning, it was making a difference for others. So it became a very difficult, but worthy new career path for me. Awesome. Uh, What's the name of your book? It's called Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses Without Losing Ourselves. And so it's a 31 day guidebook uh, and loose memoir just about and really geared toward faith communities on how to hold space for yourself and find realignment in your own grief process. Because as we know, grief kind of blows everything out to pieces and then we're left, it's all scattered and we're trying to grab at it. And I just found that the majority of our pain is in that disparate disparate feeling between our heart our mind, our body, and our spirits. And so the book is based on just very short little daily readings and activities that are meant to bring alignment back to those four areas. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's the model you made with that, with that book itself, restorative grief. And uh, yeah. has that caught on with the, the people you're able to help or the communities that you work in? Yeah, so far so good, right? It's, I self-published it last year and it's, 
was a book that I, I never wanted to write a book about grief, just like I didn't want this career, but um, I decided to self-publish it because I wanted it out there. I wanted this tool in people's hands, at least in my immediate community, because right after the pandemic, about six months later, our region experienced a wildfire in one of the cities. And so two of our towns were essentially decimated. It was the most surreal thing to live through in our Valley. My family was safe, but we were there were times when we were at risk and it it was just, it was surreal. And so I wanted to know that that was when I decided this has to be more than just a book. This has to be an ongoing conversation that creates a space to fall apart because even in the midst of loss, there were very bizarre opinions. No, we were six months into COVID. We were on the brink of an election. It was a mess. This was September of 2020 and all of it was crazy. So what I was able to do was say to people, Hey, I don't need to know your whole story, but if you want a resource, I have one, or I have a bunch, or if you are in need of learning how to comfort someone who just lost their home or who lost someone, there were three people who died in the fires. Do you need to know how to come alongside them without offering platitudes or simply saying something that causes a deeper wound. Let me know. This is something I've studied and something I have tested. And it has become what I think is a very useful, very helpful premise that I'm trying to get into more churches because this was really like where I started working in. And it just, it makes me bananas sometimes (laughs) listening to what comes out of churches about grief, but that's another conversation. Well, usually in uh, churches or the the industrial complex of the the griefing complex is the traditional way you have to grieve. You must, if you lost someone, you must wear black for so long. You must do this. You must do that. And there's uh, the stages. It, with your model, it sounds like it's different than the, the the stages of grief. How does it? How does the stages of grief become unhelpful as com- opposed to how you're trying to approach it? It's a super good question, Rich. The stages of grief were initially developed for patients who were terminally ill. It was actually when in observation of people who have been diagnosed and have no healing solution, they went through what uh, the original creator Kubler-Ross wrote as these five, experiencing these five stages in a way that brought them to a place of peace. So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the reality is that's fine. If you need to accept that you are going to die and there is no solution, that's actually a really beautiful process. But for those of us who live acceptance of death or our impermanence has to shift differently. We can't live in this place of I'm going to die because we will eventually become Eeyore and lose our sense of self in that swirling of unknown. (laughs) So although with this book, I used the stages as like a premise to just say, Hey, this is what you're familiar with. I know we're talking about grief and that's uncomfortable and horrible. And how dare I, however, here's a little bit of familiarity, use it to guide you through and jump around to whatever you need. But where my heart for grievers really comes into play is this recognition of You're out of alignment, mind, body, heart, or spirit. You're all of who you are is wrapped up in those four things. When you notice that you're feeling, let's say tension in your shoulders or nausea in your stomach, that's your body responding to a thought that 
oh my gosh, I'm about to go down a roller coaster. This is terrifying. I could die. And you have this physical feeling. And so your behavior might be to say, you know what? I'm not going to go on the roller coaster because I don't want to do this. I don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to think I'm going to die. Right. So they all influence one another. And when you can recognize and interrupt that have those habitual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, you have the ability to then recognize, well, which one of these is out of alignment because I've never been scared of roller coasters, but now I am what changed. And so asking questions like that really embraces this impermanence and embraces the idea that, yeah, we've lost control. If we had control of our lives and our futures at all, really, um, but it also takes it out of this place of, of shame on ourselves. Like we should not be feeling this way, or I can't believe we're still grieving. And we put this shame. And that's one of the things that I find commonly with people who don't know how to support grievers is they're, they're willing to put shame on someone just to say like, you should be moving on. Why are you still sad? How could you be? I mean, think of veterans, right? The war was how many years ago? How are you still traumatized by that? Well, that's the nature of trauma. It's happening right now. And so this model allows us to kind of take a a very gentle and compassionate step back from ourselves uh, and observe as opposed to trying to fix. And that observation theoretically develops a depth of compassion in ourselves that then invites us to move differently through our story and hopefully find some movement that then becomes consistent in rather than, well, I felt better for a day, but then everything hit me again. So I stiffened. Right. Yeah. I'd like that you brought up veterans. I was about to bring up the soldier going to war and you're already, mm-hmm. as you get off the plane overseas, you already know there's a, a very high chance you may not get on, walk back on that plane because you're going to be fighting an enemy that's determined to not let that happen. And you see, so you already start at the end of a cycle at the beginning of your trip. And then when you come back, you're in denial because you made it and maybe some of your brothers and sisters did not. So you go through a reverse cycle of that whole, the stages of grief by just by no mean reason, but because what you're trained in your mind to do, to think that, Hey, we're all, we're all expendable. Once we get off this plane, something bad could happen at any moment. But if we all come back or most of us come back on, we're in denial that all of us made it back, but A, B, and C did not. And I, I like that you brought up the the trauma that that brings for the veterans as well, because every day something else can just be a flash to bring back the whole incident again and yep. start the whole process over again and try to go through the steps and reach out for help for from fellow uh, soldiers, uh, veterans and brothers and sisters who they fought with. So it's, it is a long process and different process for each and every person. I think it's a lifelong process. And once we get to a point of recognizing, oh, our life has changed, it's not a negative necessarily. It just means that something is different. Those traumas are always going to be a part of our story and our willingness to, like you said, reach out and ask for help, but even just to have conversations, you can ask for help without saying, I need help. You can ask for help by just having someone sit quietly and let you tell your story. That alone has become one of the most powerful tools for the clients I work with simply because they've never been given the opportunity. Grief and trauma are so upsetting and uncomfortable for someone who hasn't experienced it. And it's easy to unintentionally re-traumatize someone by making a remark or asking a question. But if I'm willing to sit and be uncomfortable and 
what I call hold space for an individual to just be who they are, no matter what that looks like. And without the agenda of trying to correct control or fix the outcome, I have given them a gift that so many people just don't have the opportunity to experience in their lives. Veterans, I cannot, I think would probably be one of the higher group of people, like number of people who have experienced just a lack of people wanting to hear it or wanting to sit and hold space for them. Because I work with a veteran in one of my um, other side jobs and I love him to death. And his heart is always just like, yeah, that's a nice thought, but the VA would never, I can't get through or, you know, whatever it is. And I just, that's, I'm crushed because if you're not a part of that program or a part of the system, you don't know how hard it is for a veteran to get support. And so I'm sitting back thinking that's exactly why support needs to be so widespread. But to do that, we all have to become grief literate, whether we're involved in the military in any way or not, we have to know how harmful platitudes and simple dismissals can really be. And speaking of grief literacy, would you want to describe that or define that for some of those who don't understand what grief literacy is? Absolutely. Grief literacy is just the idea of learning more about the topic of grief. What, what it means, what does grief actually mean? What does it mean to grieve intentionally? What does it mean to, what is a platitude and what does it mean to give one to someone How am I causing unintentional harm by asking questions? Um, A good example of that one would be with a a death over COVID. The first question so many people ask is, oh, were they vaccinated? And it makes me cry because I'm, uh, first of all, you have no right to ask that question, which exactly you have no right, but it implies that they were somehow responsible for their own death based on the outcome of that answer. In, In no way, shape or form, is that going to be true? And it doesn't matter whether they were vaccinated or not. You are asking someone who's grieving if their person had a reason to die. If I, as the observer to your story, have a reason to have compassion and empathy, or if I should just say, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, and move on and change the subject. And grief literacy is this idea that I'm going to show up. And if I enter into the story of a griever, or even overhear that someone has lost another person, I have the responsibility as a human being to demonstrate empathy in a way that I'm not trying to cause harm to the people around me, because I try to assume positive intent, right? I don't think anyone's trying to cause harm when they ask a question like that, but they also probably didn't think about what was coming out of their mouths either. And so it's a matter of, uh, I want people to be very intentional and part of that with grief means learning what it means. What, what does grief intentional grief look like intentional grief support look like? And that, that, that's a good point you brought up. People don't really realize what's coming out of their mouths when they, when they say, <laughs> were, were they vaccinated? And I mean, that means nothing at that point because the person right. is no longer with us. Uh, right. They're passed away due to what we believe is COVID or it could have been something else, but right, right. at that point, it's COVID. And uh, right. all you can do is ask them what you can do to the, for them at that point, not go through some craziness about the, pol- the politics of it. Well, and even our curiosity, our own curiosity of like, oh, I wonder if they were vaccinated. Doesn't matter. A friend, it doesn't matter. A friend of mine um, passed away very suddenly, and I remember watching the conversation in our community. He was a behemoth in our community, and is in his mid forties. Totally expected to survive, suddenly did not. And watching the conversation around Jeff's passing was so. It was a lesson in 
why I do the work. It was heart-wrenching. It was infuriating. It was all the things at once. And I, every time I had that rise up, I was like, nope, but this is grief. It is wild and unpredictable. And I am okay sitting with the unanswerable questions. This is how I have to carry it to everyone else because I'm watching my people spiral and fall to pieces. And that's not okay. I mean, it's okay to spiral and fall to pieces. <laughs> it's not okay to feel like you have no answer to get away from that space to once I fall apart, will I ever find a way back to who I think I am? And that's really where so many grievers go to, or I would, um, and I would assume uh, probably a lot of veterans, I can't get into this big, deep grief place because I will spiral because I will fall apart and I won't be able to come back to a place where I feel in control or settled. And so, you know, to bring it all back around, that's part of why this grief work is so important. It's why grief literacy matters. It's why my project, my restorative grief book transferred into a project that is ongoing because we need to know, and we need to become a people who can create a safe place for people to just fall apart without answers, without platitudes, trying to encourage them without trying to fix what's broken or can't be fixed that we can learn how to just carry it together. Exactly. And, and part of the reason I started this, this podcast was to help veterans by bringing them on and letting them share their story. Cause for a lot of us, that's how the healing starts. So we're how it, so getting that off your chest helps the, the grieving process, the healing process. If you're not able to tell your story or like you said, have someone take that time to just sit and let you talk and listen listen to that story, it does cause more harm than good because it just bottles up until, and one day they just explode inside and something bad happens inside and outside, internal and external body movements at that point. Do you find it's hard for you to get into certain communities to try to help people or is it everyone open to what you're trying to do? I think it's a mixed bag. It's really hard to convince people that this type of work is necessary if they've never experienced grief in their own story, or if they already have this sense of authority in their immediate community. For example, churches are surprisingly hard to get into in the sense of, it feels like, uh, this is my assumption. I assume that it feels like I'm trying to say, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you how to do it right. When the truth is I'm coming in and saying, I don't, think you have anything serving this, can I present this option? Because I'm confident that your people need to hear this message because I haven't met someone yet who isn't grieving in some way there's deaths and there is disenfranchised grief, which is a loss of a job or an expectation that went unmet or never having closure for someone that went missing in the war that you never got to see again. There are so many ways there's ambiguous grief that you just don't we just don't give it enough credit. And so as I try to approach people who are very hesitant to talk about it with me, uh, or even bring me into their circle, I just kind of say, let's, let's unpack this for a second. Think about when you're alone in the car and you start talking to yourself about a process or trying to talk something out to make sense of it. Or maybe you talk to yourself in the shower, all of a sudden you're talking, you're talking, and then something clicks and it makes sense to you. That's basically what it's like to work with me. Let me hold some space and make it safe for you to just talk something out. I'm going to ask you some questions. And in a group setting, it's the same idea. Let me give you some information and then you guys talk it out. Let's just beat this horse and find a way to 
get down to the nitty gritty. Like what is at the base of what you're struggling to carry and how can we shift the ideas around it so that you actually have a mindset of, of growth, of, of intention, of curiosity for yourself instead of shame and condemnation and pride. And it's, it's hard. It's not an, it's not an easy conversation. It's not an easy sell, but it is a, it is so rewarding. I think every time that uh, we end up getting, I, I lead some online conversations a couple, every other week or so on Twitter with fr- some friends of mine about grief. And it's always very quiet for the first 10 minutes. And so it's just me like telling stories and asking questions. And then finally, the second someone shares, it's this floodgate of, oh my gosh, really? Me too. I didn't know I was the only, <laughs> I didn't, someone else has experienced this. And the, the truth is no, no one has experienced what you have experienced. However, we have similar circumstances. Our boats are all in the same ocean. The waves are hitting us all, but some of us have bigger boats. Some of us are, are drowning. So coming alongside one another and creating an atmosphere where it is safe to fall apart is the most loving thing you can do. As long as you don't follow it up with, that was really nice, but I'm so glad you can now trust that they're in a better place or don't worry, God is with you. Or I mean, I could go off on platitudes, but, but yeah. (laughs) On Twitter, is that a video or is that everyone just chatting? No, it's Twitter spaces. It's just live audio chat. Okay. Live audio chat. Yeah, it's usually how a, a group setting usually goes. If one person, it's like you're the, the moderator, you're, you're talking, then finally one jumps in, then everyone who's sitting there itching and their legs are twitching the whole time, waiting to say yeah. something. They, want, they don't want to be first. Yeah, they're afraid what they say might not be right. But yeah, when Johnny says it, then Mary will say it, and it'll go around the whole room. And that's always a good feeling for you as the moderator yeah. that you got them to open up. And it's yeah. also a good feeling for them sitting around in that circle or in the, the Twitter sphere. That, yeah. Uh, wow, everyone's having these kind of issues. I, I'm not alone. I can yeah. go in this fight with someone else and I have someone now I can chat with on a, a weekly basis or I can get their email. We talk all the time. Yeah. It's interesting because social media has created such a, it's such a black, it, it's so nuanced. It's not black and white. It's gray space all over. And we present these ideas of what we think we need to be or who we are and Yet underneath, we're just begging to be seen, right? There's so much subtext. It drives my writer's heart crazy. I'm like, no, say the thing, say the thing you need to say. So these Twitter spaces have been so powerful because people are literally exposing themselves, not in a bad way. They're just by even showing up in this room. I'm like, I see you. I see you're not going to say anything. That's okay. But something about this topic drew your attention, which means this is on your radar which means now you're on my radar in the best of ways. Like I'm going to be able to engage with you and get to know you differently with this framework of, or with this subtext of there might be grief that they are wanting to address. Of course there's grief. It's just a matter of, are they looking at it? Is it something that's prevalent? Are they actively grieving? Are they trying to figure out what it means to actively grieve? And how can I just be available as a resource without being pushy? I I can't, I wish I could make money off of the book, but I just give it away. I gave it away this morning and I just laughed. I'm like, here you go. I don't really, it's fine. This is important to me. And giving copies of it away means whether it serves, whether someone can relate to the faith-based component of it or not, I'm very clear. Like, Hey, if you have any kind of faith trauma, don't read my book right now. It won't help you. Um, But 
at the same time, I'm like, if you have the discernment to say that was irrelevant to me, but this piece was powerful for me, then do that, rip it apart, find what serves and leave the rest behind. Because in those conversations, those little moments where I can see that the mention of grief unlocks something in you, I know that our world is becoming more empathetic and more compassionate and more curious toward one another instead of continuing to just layer on accusation and defensiveness and self-protection and all the things that totally prevent us from spiraling into the beauty of who we could become, like spiraling upward instead of downward. <laughs> I think in the last two years, we've seen it go up and down at the same time. And now I, uh-huh. I think in the last few months or so, you can see it kind of spiraling outward. Like mm-hmm. what you're saying with the, a lot more people are being empathetic or actually listening to each other instead of first thing they want to do is argue. Yeah. If you say the sky's blue and I say, no, it's, it's, it's fuchsia just because I want to argue with you instead of just agreeing with you. Cause I'd be insane if we both agree on something. And I think what we're seeing now is everyone's starting to realize we can't just be hateful all the time. We have to understand that everyone, we're all humans. Like you said earlier about the, we're not all sailing alone in a boat. Once we get close to each other, we have one big boat in this big ocean that we live in. Yeah. And that's the best way to look at it. How does someone know, uh, how to get help if they feel alone, if they feel so alone that they don't know where to look, where would they find that, that light to go to? Such a hard question because there are so many grief resources out there. And the more research I do, the more I see a lot of them being harmful. And so I'm going to say this very delicately because there is a level of trauma awareness that is lacking, at least in the coaching world, in the psychiatry world, psychologist world is very different. I'm not a psychologist. But even still, having the certifications doesn't mean you are good at what you do. And being good at what you do does not mean you are effective at what you do. And so what I try to encourage people to do is find someone using your online resources first and always, because there is no library that doesn't have internet access at this point, is is just searching trauma-aware grief support. Because what will happen is grief supporters tend to try and catalyze our pain into purpose. Try to say, let's find meaning in the loss you suffered. Well, there's no meaning in war. Not really. These deaths are meaningless. Yes. I get that there's outcomes we're trying to accomplish, but at the nitty gritty, this person didn't come home. I don't know how to find meaning in that. Or if my mom dies from cancer and the doctors couldn't save her and it was really fast, I don't know how to find meaning in that, nor do I really want to. You could look at my story and say, oh, you found purpose for your pain. And I'm like, no, I survived through grit and a lot of trauma of my own. And I'm trying to not live in that place anymore. And I'm trying to use it for something different. But that doesn't mean that I needed to have this pain in my life to become purposeful in helping others to grow. And so looking online is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Looking online for trauma aware um, grief support is really crucial. There's the Dougie center out of Portland, which I love to recommend because they're focused on children and it's another arena, especially um, children just don't get the same kind of grief support. We, they don't get the same kind of support in most arenas because we, for some reason think they are less human or less fully, uh, you know, cognizant sentient beings than we are. And that's not true. They just grieve more loudly. Um, but there's, there's a way to get really, really negative support if you're not careful. And I think just finding characters, characters, 
um, finding personalities, even on social media that you can relate to just observing them. That's a great place to start as well. Because again, there's a lot of grief supporters that will show up and say things that are really catchy and in your grief, it's really easy to be like, Oh, that makes great sense. Of course. I want to hear that. That trauma aware level changes everything. Most people working in the grief sphere, if they're not educated on the back end, like prior to getting into grief in psychology or in uh, mental health, they're not going to necessarily have that trauma awareness, which can be really devastating for someone experiencing PTSD in the moment, reliving it to be told, change your mindset. What are you doing? You need to, you need to focus on the positive. And you're like, there's, you know what I mean? That's completely ineffective. And additionally harmful. That was a long answer to that question. Sorry. <laughs> I think you hit all the key points. <laughs> uh, okay. You mentioned PTSD and a lot of uh, veterans that go down that rabbit hole, or we call it the darkness. Uh, they mm. fall into that darkness. And if someone doesn't notice it or they don't reach out and someone grabs them, we lose them. And that's, yeah. that's how, that's how it's been happening since uh, probably about five years ago when they started mm. coming out with the 22 a day stuff. Even though yeah. at the beginning, those 22 were really Vietnam veterans that they were, we were losing, but they really had no help when they came home. Zero help for the Vietnam veterans until we started going to war in probably 2003, when they finally got noticed, hey, we had lost a whole generation here. We forgot about them. Maybe yeah. we should help them. And it was too late because most of them seen a lot of stuff in Vietnam. And yeah. we, I guess we benefited from their loss because things got better because of what they went through. Yeah. And, uh, the next generation hopefully will have better off uh, because what we've gone through. I don't think we've had it as bad, but yes, we've seen a lot of bad things and we have to take care of our brothers and sisters as we go forward and for the rest of our lives, we have to be there for each other. And I think what you're doing is great for everyone, not just our community, but the entire community. And how do people get in contact with you if they want to just chat with you or just get your book or learn more about what you do? Good question. So my website is mandykpart.com. I'm totally active on Twitter, like I said, uh, and Instagram, both at Mandy K part and I'm available. I love having these uncomfortable conversations with people simply because like you said, they're so necessary. We don't have the opportunities necessarily face to face. And this is where I get an opportunity to give back to other people who've stood alongside me through uh, the uncountable losses (laughs) that I've lived through. So. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everything you are doing. If you can give someone advice as being an author, any advice for someone that wants to become an author? Ooh, oh, don't, <laughs> don't self-publish. It's so hard. Uh, actually self-publishing is, it's like having a baby after you get it done. You're like, oh, that was not so bad. We could try again. And that's just, <laughs> some people thrive at it. Uh, becoming an author. Yeah. Find out what you can't live without. What's the story that the world needs that's not out there? We all have our individual stories. It's as simple as recognizing that your story has value and will move the needle for someone else. The day you decide that it does not have value is the day you've given up on everything. And so my heart is that everyone would know their story matters, whether it's a fictional story they want to tell, whether it's their true story inside them or just a piece of it. The beauty of who you are is what we need to hear in the world. It's what's making everything keep turning. And so if that's you, there are so many coaches, writing coaches and writing courses that are free 
that want to help us develop our, our narrative, our voice in story. So that when we say something and we write something, they both sound just like us instead of like someone else wrote it. Um, and if you are terrified of that, hire a ghostwriter. They're phenomenal. Ghostwriters will hear you say words and they'll put it in a book and they'll put your name on the front. And it's a great way. There's no shame in it. I think a lot of very famous people do it. At that point, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, okay, you wrote the book. But for, <laughs> for little old us who are self-publishing, I think ghostwriting is an easy way to go because our stories make a difference, man. Definitely. Mandy, thanks again for taking some of your time to share what you're doing with the Misfit Nation and your advice. Uh, sure. I'd look forward to what, seeing what you do in the future. Oh, thanks, Rich. It's been a pleasure to be here. Awesome. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.